You're listening to Women Transcend. This is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Hi, friends. This is Jennifer Todd, and I'm thrilled that you have joined us for this episode of Women Transcend. Today, we are going to take on the topic of childbirth. And this is a feminist show. You may be expecting us to go head on into the topic of birth wars and the medicalization of childbirth, which we do cover in today's interview, but it's not the focus of the show. One thing that I believe strongly is that we need to teach our women and our girls that they own agency of their bodies. That means that their bodies are theirs. And part of taking ownership is also the responsibility to do all that they can to be sure that if they choose motherhood, it is a choice and hopefully not an oops. We know that 50% of pregnancies in this country are unplanned. It does not mean unwanted. It means that they were not planned. It was an oops. And the reason that that is important is because that guarantees that not all women are at their optimal level of health when they start a pregnancy. And as a society, we have a responsibility to allow women and girls the access to care, the access to information they will need in order to manage the great responsibility that is parenthood the best that they can. We need to encourage girls and young women to start thinking much younger than we as a society are comfortable with about their reproductive health life plan. We need to start thinking about it in terms of a planned event. So do I want to become a mother ultimately? We, we want girls and young women to be thinking about this. And because they're thinking about it does not mean that they will say, yes, I want to be a mother now. You know, it, it's our job to be supportive and provide information so that they own their bodies and the responsibility that comes with parenthood. So do I want to be a mother at all, ultimately? And if I do, when do I want to be a mother? Do I want to be sure that I finish college first? Do I want to be sure that I'm in a stable relationship where I'm not comfortable having a child outside of marriage? Do I want to have a job and a career first? And then we need to help women understand that if you have the opportunity to think about your reproductive health life plan, then this can be something that you can prepare for. And the benefit of that is that women will enter pregnancy 
healthier and with more, hopefully more stability in their lives. And it will be a planned and wanted pregnancy. So we talk a lot more about reproductive health, life planning and preparing for pregnancy in our interview today with Pat Keating, who is an amazing woman who has 37 years as a a nurse and a, a childbirth educator. And she will talk about the benefits of having mom be in optimal health when she gives birth. But it's easy to throw out a platitude that women should have a reproductive life plan and be thinking about what they want and when they want it. But the truth is, a lot of women don't have agency over their bodies. And we live in a society that is doing everything it can to take our agency. And so we have less and less control over our own fertility. And because of that, we have less and less control over our ability to plan for and be in our best state of health when we have a pregnancy so that we are giving ourselves and our children the best options that we can. And we're not doing a good job as a society in supporting our girls and women. And so it's easy to, again, to talk about the ideal, what we want, what we want for every woman, what we want for every girl to aspire to. But that takes work, my friends. It takes work because we aren't providing our girls and our young women with the ability to believe that they are in control of their bodies. And we're given messages every day that we're not. In the news, when we hear that it's okay, that we're touched when we don't want to, or we hear in the news that laws are passed, making it more difficult to get insurance coverage for basic reproductive health care. And we hear our lawmakers say, I'm not a woman. I don't give birth. Why should I care about this? Then we're giving the message to every young woman and every girl that she does not own her fertility. And if it's not yours, then I guess the idea of putting effort and thought into planning maybe feels futile. And that's really, that's really sad for me to say, but I feel like that's where we are. So stay tuned. We have a really interesting interview coming up with Pat Keating, as I mentioned, and she has a phenomenal wealth of information about childbirth and how things have changed over the years and birthing and birthing education and breastfeeding. And it's really just a nice perspective on where we've come from and where we are now. And she reinforces the importance of a planned pregnancy and and how that benefits both mom and baby in so many ways. And, And we know that and there's good evidence of that. So please stick around for my interview with Pat Keating. Coming up next is my interview with Pat Keating. 
Kat has been a registered nurse and a certified Lamaze childbirth educator for more than 37 years. She brings amazing perspective to our discussion about changing trends in childbirth. Welcome to Women Transcend Pat. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. I really appreciate you joining us to lend your years of expertise on the topic of childbirth and birthing trends. And I think that probably women will think, you know, I'm a mom, I know about this. Or even if you're not a mom, well, you know, I've, I've watched YouTube videos, I know about this. But I think that there is a lot that we don't know. And I think it's there's some things that it would be important for us to discuss, in particular, how things have changed. And you have been doing this, that you've been working in this field for, as you said, 37 years, and have a lot of experience to lend to the topic. So I'm really anxious to get your thoughts. So when we talk about childbirth and changing trends, have you noticed, you know, you've taught countless numbers of childbirth classes and you're still teaching childbirth classes. Correct. So have you noticed over the years changes in the way that moms, uh, moms and dads, family units, whoever comes to childbirth class, have you noticed changes in the way that they prepare for childbirth? Yes, I have, Jennifer. I would say over the years, you know, there's a lot of different trends. First of all, there's definitely a trend towards mothers having their first babies after the age of 30. So we're seeing a lot of older moms in our childbirth education classes. In fact, it's not unusual for me to have a mom in her early 40s as well, having a first baby. And dads are getting older as well. So that's been one change. Um, how they prepare for childbirth it definitely has changed over the years. When I first began teaching over 30 years ago, it, it was a very high percentage of first-time moms that took childbirth education classes. They probably did not have a lot of other resources for information. There, there were books and there was talking to their healthcare provider, but you know the internet was not available at that time. Nowadays, we see that many more moms are getting their information off of the internet through various resources. They might just be Googling pregnancy, infertility, childbirth preparation. They might go on a new mom's or a, a expecting mom's blog. They might go into chat rooms. Um, so it really it varies on the internet how they're getting their information. And we're, of course, as a result, seeing fewer moms preparing for childbirth by taking the actual classes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So as a result of that, we have started offering online classes uh, to prepare for childbirth education. And we're seeing a little bit of an uptick in that. But um, the people who do decide they want to take the classes they really want to be in a classroom setting where they're meeting other parents, where they're able to um, have a you know back and forth with the childbirth instructor, where they can ask questions and you know get the the good information because as 
we all know the information that's out there on the internet isn't always accurate. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard for them to discern what is true information, good information, what is evidence-based. So that's definitely something I've seen over the years. Yeah, I was just going to, you um, beat me to the to the question. I was just going to ask, are they coming in um, having read on the internet with some misconceptions about childbirth and, and, you know, you have to spend some time sort of reteaching because they've gotten bad. You know, there is a lot of bad information on the internet. Yeah. So it, it varies from class to class. Some couples will have come in already knowing a lot or thinking they know a lot and having done a, lo a lot of research and other couples will come in absolutely knowing nothing and want, you know, they're like sponges. They want to soak up all the information. So what I've found is often as an instructor, I will throw out questions to the class to see who knows what and see if anybody knows anything. And there's always one or two moms or dads in the class who you can see that they've done a lot of research and a lot of reading. And that's a way to sort of assess what's out there. And then the other thing that is a little bit disconcerting as an instructor is that often they will ask me statistics on something. And as soon as I give them a number, they will pull out their iPhones and they'll start looking it up to see if I'm correct. Oh, no. <laughs> so I've learned not to give numbers. Yeah. Numbers out because, of course, you can always find a different statistical number if you go to of a different course. source. And I usually throw that back on them and I'll say, well, why don't you look that up at the break and, and report back to the class what you've come up with? And more often than not, they, several of them will look it up during the break and they'll come back with three or four different versions yeah. of the same statistics. So <laughs> that I think that just proves the point that you can't always rely on, you know, what you read or see in the internet. And I do find that part of what I want to do as an instructor is to direct them to the what I call the good resources, the .org resources, not so much the .com resources, so that they can you know, really make sure that they're getting the research-based information, uh -huh. not what this other mom's experience was. Yeah. Because that can raise a lot of anxiety about things. Exactly. And I would also probably add here, if you go onto a website and they're trying to sell you something, it's probably not good information. Exactly. Yeah. So have you noticed any changes in family involvement in the birthing experience? Yeah, well, one statistic that I will throw out there is that more moms today are unmarried. Um, now, it doesn't mean they don't have a partner, and often the partner or the father of the baby will come with them. But we also see moms who come to classes with their sister, their girlfriend, of course, we're seeing more same-sex couples coming to classes. And um, so I think there, you know, there's just, it's, it's following the trend in our society. But um, they usually do have somebody that, you know, is a family member or a friend that is going to be involved in the birth. And that's who they bring to the class too. Because part of what we're doing in the classes is to teach that support person how to be a good support for the mom in labor and, you know, what they need to know to be able to do that. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's usually the person that 
comes with them to childbirth class, the person that, I mean, this might be hard for you. But they, uh, it's a good idea if they have gone through some sort of doula certification. And there are several organizations now that train doulas and certify doulas. And so uh, they can be an important part of, you know, the birth team. In fact, we know that moms who are attended by doulas during their birth have a much lower chance of having a C-section, much uh, a greater chance of having a natural unmedicated birth, and also um, have an increased sense of accomplishment and positive feelings about their birth should they use a doula. Uh-huh, interesting. Because the experience working with a doula doesn't start at labor. They develop a relationship during pregnancy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Usually the doula meets with them before labor at some point during the pregnancy. They may have several meetings with the doula. The doula helps them to develop a birth plan, which is kind of a new concept in childbirthing. When I talk about birth plans with my childbirth students, I talk about, you know, what is your desired path? for your labor because you can't plan everything out you don't know what's going to happen in birth. There's a lot of unpredictable events that can take place during the birth or even before the birth, but it's, you know, what are some things that you would like to see happen or how would you like to have your birth go? What people do you want there? What techniques do you want to use? What do you hope to avoid? That kind of thing. Uh, doulas often can be very helpful in helping families to develop a birth plan. They attend the birth with them, and they may do a few postpartum visits as well to, you know, help the mom with breastfeeding and just help her to get acclimated after the birth. Yeah. So you mentioned breastfeeding. What trends have you noticed in breastfeeding? I know this is something that is generally covered in childbirth class, but until baby arrives, it's kind of theoretical. I mean, the, the whole, I guess, childbirth discussion of, of planning for childbirth, it's theoretical, but it is discussed, the benefits. And have you noticed changes in people in their receptiveness or what are the trends that you've noticed? Well, definitely over the years, I think, you know, since I was a new mom myself over let's see, 38 years ago, my son just had his 38th birthday, my oldest. At that time, they were making the trend back to breastfeeding from formula feeding. This was in the late 1970s. Since then, breastfeeding has always been promoted by, you know, nurses and childbirth educators. But I would say that the biggest changes came in the 1990s when there was a lot more research done about breastfeeding and the benefits of breastfeeding. And once we got the American Academy of Pediatrics on board and they came out with their recommendations for breastfeeding, I'm going to say back in the 1990s at some point, we've seen a really big push for, you know, encouraging moms to, all moms, to exclusively breastfeed their babies. And the, the current recommendations today are for moms to exclusively breastfeed, no formula, no solid foods for at least the first six months, and then to continue breastfeeding up to one year with the introduction of solid foods between six months and one year. 
And we've also seen around those recommendations, a lot more programs have developed to support moms with breastfeeding, including the rise of the lactation consultant or the lactation expert. Uh So along with doulas over the last 20 years, we've seen a huge increase in the uh, use of certified lactation consultants, and they have their own um, training and certifying programs. And we now are seeing them not just in the community, but we've actually brought them into the hospitals. And they are working with moms right after birth on the postpartum units. And then there are also many lactation consultants out in the community to support moms after they go home, because that's when a lot of moms end up giving up breastfeeding because they don't have that support. Yeah. I think that there's kind of, if you have are a first-time mom, there is this feeling that there's going to be this magic moment where you, you know, put the baby to your breast and it latches and la, and it doesn't always, you know, work that way. Um, and so the movement for uh, lactation support um, is really important. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, I, I would have to say I disagree that most moms today don't have that idea of the magic moment because I teach breastfeeding, prenatal breastfeeding classes, and I always ask moms what they've heard about breastfeeding. And the majority of the moms in the class will say, I've heard that breastfeeding hurts. I've heard that it's hard. My friend gave it up after two weeks. So they're already getting the information on the outside that this is a hard thing to do. And and hopefully that is what's spurring them to come to a class. But we, we do need to let them know that, yes, it can be hard and it is a learning process. It's not just a naturally occurring phenomena. So they, moms need to learn what to do, how to hold the baby, how to latch the baby on. Babies need to learn what to do. Uh And that's where that immediate support in the hospital is so crucial because that is really the time that mom has to learn before she goes home. And she has, you know, the personnel there that can help her and be a resource for her Uh 24-7. Once she goes home, that's when a lot of moms, you know, have, have issues because, They don't have anyone to call at two in the morning and, you know, find out why is this baby still crying or why does, why does he seem to be refusing the breast or Uh why my nipples hurt or whatever. So that postpartum support is really important. Yeah, that's a great point. And the ease of social media and, and posting, oh, this is, you know, I'm just guessing that it's very easy to share a negative story or this is just isn't working. Forget it. I'm giving up. So thank you for correcting me that that's an important point. So the other thing that I'm wondering about is, have you noticed health of mom change when she gets to either childbirth class or when she gets to labor? Are you noticing that moms are healthier or less healthy or haven't thought about it? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, one trend that we've seen is that going along with society as a whole, 
the obesity problem in our country. And so as a result, we're seeing more moms who are coming into pregnancy being overweight or obese. In fact, I, I recently read one statistic that close to 50% of moms enter pregnancy either overweight or obese. And we know that these conditions going into pregnancy can lead to birth defects, can lead to premature birth or other complications of pregnancy. Uh -huh. So we may, especially such as gestational diabetes, we are seeing more incidences of gestational diabetes pregnancy hypertension, which is also, you know, leads to poor birth outcomes. And in general, you know, I think part of it could be because moms are going into pregnancy older. So we're seeing more older moms. They may have more uh, chronic long-term health problems as they begin their pregnancy, which could affect the outcome of the pregnancy. So it's really critical for a woman to start thinking about her health status long before she gets a positive pregnancy test. Exactly. So, you know, one thing that I think has come to the forefront in, in public health over the years has been the idea of preconception health, preconception planning. So what that means is that women need to be thinking about having a baby as soon as they hit the childbearing years, which we know is, you know, can be as early as 12 or 13, all the way up to 45. And during those years, the concept is that we want women to be as healthy as possible going into the pregnancy. Part of that is important because close to 50% of pregnancies are unintended, mm -hmm. meaning that the woman did not plan to have to become pregnant at the time that she did, or didn't plan to become pregnant at all. We, that's, of course, very, you know, much more prevalent in when we see our teen pregnancies. Uh -huh. They didn't plan on getting pregnant at all, but they did. So, you know, if that's the case, they may not be in optimal health they become pregnant. And so that can make a big difference. Uh -huh. Going to the doctor for a preconception health visit should be a routine now so that women find out, you know, about what issues they might have going into pregnancy. If they're on uh, long-term medications, are these medications going to be appropriate when they become pregnant? Should they be changed now for a more appropriate medication that is, you know, more compatible with pregnancy? And should they try to make lifestyle changes ahead of becoming pregnant? So I always tell moms, you know, if you're thinking about pregnancy, then you really want to start a year out making some of the changes, you know, getting into a better nutritional status, losing or gaining weight, depending on, you know, what your issue is and getting healthier just in general, exercising more, you know, just, just the general health and wellness recommendations that we give to all people. But it's even more important as they prepare for or go into a pregnancy. Yeah. And just because we're discussing preconception health with, let's say, teenagers, does not yeah. mean that we're telling them, 
hey, this is how to get pregnant. So, you know, <laughs> encouraging teens to, to become pregnant, it's encouraging them to plan for a purposeful pregnancy. And to, Correct. yeah, right. Okay. And then to be in their optimal state of health when and if they do decide to get pregnant. So, Right. If they smoke, that's not something that you can give up overnight. So it might be something that, you know, if you're 17 and you smoke and you know your life course, you'd sort of like to be settled by maybe mid-20s. So just, you know, to kind of put a pin in, this is an issue that I need to address by this, you know, in general. Is that I, is that sort of what you're it getting? It is. And, and what we may want to do to sort of market this idea is not call it preconception health when we're talking to teens, because that, that gets, especially gets their mothers all, you yeah, know, sure. preconception health, <laughs> we're talking about having babies, but you know, just the idea that you want to be healthy going into your adult life, you know, do you think you want to be a mother someday? Uh, then, these are things that you need to think about. Uh And of course we know it's always a different approach when we're talking about teens, but also I think reaching out to college age women, they also probably, I don't know for sure, but probably aren't thinking about becoming pregnant when they're in college, but yet that's a good place to reach them as they transition into their twenties. And sometimes college and early twenties is when young women get into a lot of bad habits like drinking and smoking and uh-huh. other kinds of things that could possibly affect a future pregnancy. Uh-huh. And then there's been a lot of discussion, especially among feminist groups, about the medicalization of childbirth and sort of criticism of the birth experience becoming too much like a, a, a health condition. And what would your response to that be? Yeah, so I definitely, as a as a Lamaze childbirth educator, um, you know, we have looked at that trend. And I would say as technology grew in the childbirth field, they started using more technology. And today, you know, most women do deliver their babies in hospitals. I would say at least 90%, maybe even higher than that of women deliver in hospitals. And when you're in a hospital, hospitals have the um, mindset of illness. You know, you go to the hospital because there's a problem or you're ill. And birth is not an illness. Birth is a normal, natural, physiologic process. So the trend now and, and where we're going with childbirth education is to look at look at the environment where mom is giving birth and try to you know make that environment as safe as possible but also to make it less stressful for moms less interventions um, even though we you know we've developed wonderful advances in electronic fetal monitoring is it always the best thing for mom to be constantly in bed in a hospital with a fetal monitor on? If she's confined to bed, she's not able to walk around, to move, to do other productive positions that could um, help her to feel, not only feel better, but also to help progress the labor and, and get the baby to move. So we have to look at a way to 
make sure that we keep mom safe, but also reduce some of the medical interventions. We're also seeing higher C-section rates. I believe it's anywhere between 30 and 33% right now uh-huh. nationwide. We're seeing more inductions of labor. Yeah. Some of the data I've read said as, as high as 25% of labors are induced. Wow. Meaning that they're artificially started before the due date or enhanced during the labor itself. And so a lot of what childbirth education has been focused on in in the last 15 or 20 years has been, um, you know, what does the evidence say? Evidence-based practice. And so what the Lamaze organization does is, is look at, you know, what are some practices in labor that can benefit moms, but that can also be safe and the research backs it up. And so these are things like letting labor start on its own, not inducing labor unless there is a medical reason to do so. Letting moms move about freely in labor, Uh not having interventions that can restrict mom's movement or can restrict her. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Having the doula, the professional support or family members, having that support there helps reduce mom's stress levels and can help progress labor and make it a more positive experience for her. So for sure, we have a ways to go. Yeah. (laughs) There's the evidence-based information, and then there's the practice of birth, and that they don't always sync up immediately. There's always a gap between how practices change and, you know, what the evidence says is okay to do. Sure. Well, I can certainly understand if you're in a a hospital, as you said, the hospital is set up to intervene. I mean, to intervene with with illness or a a condition or so I can certainly understand where the, the system sort of perpetuates intervention because that's that's what you do in a hospital and especially you know if you're the woman in labor and you know you you don't have a birth plan or you even if you do you get those first contractions and it's out the window where you may have wanted not so much intervention but systems sort of kick in as as they should and perpetuate this medicalization. I don't, is that, would you agree yeah, with that? I, I think that's fair. What can happen is you can get into a cascading effect so that once one intervention is started, like say something like electronic fetal monitoring, that's going to confine mom to bed. So now she's in bed, she can't move around, she can't get comfortable. She maybe had planned on a natural unmedicated birth And now she's feeling like, I just, I can't get comfortable. I can't tolerate this. So now I'm going to have an epidural. So she decides to get the epidural, then that, that may slow down labor. So then that may require using a drug to get labor going. So that's what we call a cascading effect. Uh One of the things that I teach in childbirth classes is for moms to stay home as long as possible. As long as they're comfortable and they're communicating with their healthcare provider, they are going to feel, in most cases, they may feel more comfortable in their own home. They can do whatever they want in their own home. They can take a bath, take a shower, they can you know, get into their comfortable easy chair or their bed. They can go outside and, you know, take a walk uh-huh. through the 
park. Take a hot bath or, or shower. And exactly. So once they get to the hospital, first of all, they're in a strange place. They're with staff they've never met before. They, they may have met their OB or seen them once or twice. They probably haven't met the nursing staff. And then there's a lot of strange sounds and medical equipment. And so this increases their stress levels. And that, of course, can affect labor. It can actually cause labor to slow down or stop when mom has high stress levels. So staying at home, you know, as long as they are communicating with their doctor, that's what I always say. Don't just ignore, you know, call your doctor, let them know what's going on and, you know, have their plan ready to go to the hospital. But stay at home if you can and you're feeling comfortable with it and you can uh once you get to the hospital you may be further along in labor and things aren't going to stall out Uh uh-huh great well thank you so much pat for lending your expertise to this topic that i think that so many women even if you're done with your children not done with your children but done having children still this is something that that men and women and families are are interested in and as you said it's something that if you are planning a pregnancy you need to start thinking about in advance so i appreciate you joining us to lend your expertise and thoughts on this oh you're most welcome and thanks for giving me the forum Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. If you enjoy our show, one thing that you can do to really help us out is to tell at least one friend about our show and how they can find us. You'd be surprised, really surprised at how many people don't know what a podcast is, um, let alone how to find one. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. A big thanks to Pat Keating for today's interview and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Follow us on Facebook at Women Transcend because we always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.